Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, Episode 8. Nick, good evening. Good evening. You know, if there's anything I hate more than losing, it's losing a Sunday night game and getting to bed at midnight on a work night. Fortunately, I awoke this morning with a smile on my face and a song, our Steelers song, in my heart. Go Steelers! Steelers. Victory Monday. Much sweeter. I don't feel tired at all the next day when it when it comes down to this, but definitely was sweating a little bit in the fourth quarter thinking like, well, it's going to be a long day tomorrow. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen, it was not because we have another Steelers victory. Steelers beat the Lions at the Lions place, the site of the glorious Super Bowl victory where Jerome Bettis rode off into the sunset. Steelers win this game 20-15 to and kind of a kooky, strange, unique type game. Uh, but either way, 6-2, and two, sitting pretty, leading the entire AFC going into their bye week. Speaking of kooky, that score is kind of kooky, isn't it? It's kooky, yeah. When do you see yeah, that? We run 15. Way to get five field goals and no touchdown in the red zone, guys. Well, people, I think this is our new normal. We're not even worried about high scoring. We're just looking for victories. And you're right. We're going to the bye week, not only 6-2, and two, but relatively unscathed from an injury standpoint. Even, even though we've had a couple key, key people missing, we'll point out later that uh, we did have next man up, and he stepped up big time in this game. Yeah, there's a couple guys who have been filling in well this season. And you're right. We've been very fortunate with the injury bug this year, and this bye comes at a pretty awesome time directly at the halfway point of the season. So hopefully people have some time to get healthy. But either way, there's a lot to talk about in this game. So why don't we just get right into it? Let's move into the three major themes of the game. Three major themes. Theme number one, red zone defense. This was big time. Lions were 0 for 5 in the red zone. But better yet were the three goal, effectively two goal line stances and one goal line stance basically from the eight yard line. It was uh, a thing of beauty. And for all that heartache between the twenties that we had to witness, uh, the red zone defense made it all worthwhile. I think some of the national storyline today has been, wow, the lions are inept in the red zone. And yes, they are in some ways, but we've both rewatched this game and the Steelers played excellent in the red zone. I didn't see a ton of flaws with the Lions play calling. Yeah, obviously some of the fault falls on them for not being able to score out of five tries in a row and obviously going for it on fourth down that one time was almost the kiss of death for them. But there 
with some great football played by the Steelers defense inside the 20 and inside the 10. Not so much anywhere else on the field, but that's definitely the reason why they won the game is their red zone play. Now, moving on to theme number two. Big game juju. He locked his bike up on the sideline and he locked his game up for the steel man. Yeah, he locked Glorious. that anxiety away. He did. That 97-yard sprint, longest touchdown pass in Steelers history. Nobody knew he was that fast, including himself. Almost looked as if he was riding that ghost bike uh, away from those bumbling Lions secondary dudes. Regardless, great game by Juju. Huge breakout. Pretty interesting that it comes on the day where Martavis is benched and uh, basically sees Juju take his job. More on that later. Uh, we do think there is still room for Martavis, obviously. But, wow, Juju really established himself, and the Steelers wouldn't have won without that great play. Speaking Let's move of, on. I just to note that uh, Martavis may have been exposed there in some way, but speaking of exposure, theme number three, we've been waiting for it all season. Our past defense has been exposed. It's naked. It's buck naked. Ten plays of over 15 yards. And we made Matt Stafford look like Matthew Stafford. Yeah, well, he's really good. <laughs> Definitely have this game circled on the calendar. Like we've been saying all year, the Steelers, the first time they, they play against uh, an elite-type quarterback like Matthew Stafford, they're going to struggle. Not just because some people were saying the Steelers haven't played a good quarterback all year. Incredibly true. They've played terrible quarterbacks all year. And therefore, we don't know if they're good against the deep pass or not. Well, I would argue that we had plenty of uh, evidence throughout those first weeks that the Steelers were not good at the deep pass. They let up some things when quarterbacks were actually able to take advantage of them. And uh, Stafford abused the Steelers in between the 20s. Seems like every drive was basically 20-yard pass play, one-yard run, 30-yard pass play, two-yard run, 10-yard pass play, and then a goal line stand. It took him a couple plays to get all the way down the field, but they really shut him down on the red zone. Uh, they don't have the type of weapons on the outside like a New England Patriots or the scheme, so that's going to be something to watch going forward. But we're going to take it as a positive, and hopefully the Steelers, now that they have some experience playing against a good passing offense, will be able to move forward. But that was a big theme from the day, obviously. You know, we both use the term in between the 20s. I think we should just let the audience know we realize the rule change, but um, it's just hard to it's hard to change muscle memory. The 25 and the 20. That's right. too awkward. So well, our next segment. a couple nasty, nasty kicks, I think, uh, before the 25, but luckily the Steelers don't do that anymore. So hey, Well, one great omission of the show, which we need to reconsider, is we do not rate special teams. Fortunately, there wasn't anything so that stood out so much that uh, requires a, a focus, but we had to think about that. Yeah, I think we used to at the beginning. If you guys want to hear about special teams, let us know. We're obviously going to mention all the big special teams plays. Uh, actually, speaking of which, Barry had a pretty good game, uh, pinning the back a few times during the game. But we are trying to move through this stuff and get to the meat of things. So special teams takes a little bit of a backseat. Uh, especially considering that we don't return punts or kicks anymore, which for my money is actually an improvement from the last few years. Right. So we move into our next segment called our five pivotal plays. Five pivotal plays. Is there play number one. Play number one. Juju's 97-yard touchdown. Let, duh, duh. Play, listen, 
this is three weeks in a row when I have to change the play of the season. So AB pulled the Houdini act against the Chiefs. Then Le'Veon had the stiff arm of Zeus against the dreaded Bengals, which I might always hold as the number one play just because I seeing Came some legal violence towards the Bengals is always nice. And then there's this. <laughs> he beats Mike Wallace's record. He beats Martavis's record also against the Bengals a couple years ago. What an unbelievable touchdown. Great, awesome throw by Ben, making up for the putrid one he had on the play before. And somehow Juju weaved his way into the end zone. Obviously, that broke the game open. It, we're being a little bit obvious, once again, pointing to a 97-yard touchdown as being a crucial play. But, man, wow, those type of things swing a season. They swing a game. Juju had a great game besides that 97-yard touchdown. But that was one of the greatest moments of the season so far. Did you Did you think he was going to make it? I mean, it no. looked like he started about the 50-yard line. It looked like he was kind of waddling. Well, he's not a, He's not known as a speed guy. Everyone was making fun of him for it. Tom and said, well, yeah, he weaved pretty good there. And he laughed. And even Juju was complaining about his speed rating on Madden. He said, yeah, I'm only an 82 on Madden or something in speed. So I was looking behind me. But when he first got it, you figured, sweet, 50-yard pass play or something. But you kind of got the feeling once those guys weren't catching up, like, this – this crazy young man is about to weave his way to the end zone. And he did. And it was amazing. So we'll go to pivotal play number two. Goal line stand number one, Tyson Alualu. And this is the guy we're talking about next man up. Alualu had a fantastic game. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But he did, uh, he did, uh, Matthew Stanford found himself in the clutches. He did. Of the Alualu. So often in the red zone, when you collapse a pocket and if the, the other team's on you know, the three-yard line or in, all the QB has to do is just pull up into the pocket and dive over the goal line. Alulu snatched him like the crane from Toy Story, number one, classic. Snatched that dude up like a green little alien and just placed him on the ground. It was a great play for him to grab him uh, before he got out of there because the pass rush was moving pretty fast. So... Let's move on to pivotal play number three, and that is a little deja vu here, the goal line stand number two, which uh, is kind of a double-edged sword because I could have put this as a positive play for the Steelers or a negative play, but this was the one at the end of the game, right before the Steelers' last possession, where Shazier dropped a sure pick six after a great rush from the Steelers' defense. Hargrave pushed the pocket back into Stafford. Obviously, you get another stop right there in the red zone right before the touchdown. So can't go without mentioning that. The Lions would have won. They would have been up by what? What kind of math do we do? Two points at that point, two, three points. And also, if Shazier had just returned that for a touchdown like he should have, the Steelers wouldn't have had to rely on that pass interference call they got on the last drive and 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 you know move the ball offensively to get the win so somebody as amazing as him i think his eyeballs just got too big and he saw the touchdown in front of him and he dropped the easy one but that's pivotal play number three pivotal play number four sean davis had another great pa pass breakup in the end zone um he stripped fells that was that was a uh repeat of sorry the ravens kansas game city. kansas yeah, and city ravens he did it last year. On He's becoming a strip specialist. He's the strip specialist. Strong safety strip specialist. 
like that. The alliteration. It's a Sean the Strong Safety Strip Specialist, especially when you get in the red zone. And baby, you're not getting in the end zone. Okay. Uh, regardless, that was sweet. Really dug that. That's pivotal play number four. Let's move on to pivotal play number five. Eli Rogers, you don't make the best of your opportunities. Wow, that was quite restrained. Yes. I, uh, that was a bit frustrating last night. Eli Rogers drops the easiest touchdown pass you will ever see. Would have been really nice to score on that play, as we should have. Would have been the second week in a row. The Steelers went down, the, marched down the field and scored a touchdown on the first drive after not having done that for the first six weeks of the season. Um, I think that type of stuff is important for Ben's rhythm, obviously for any quarterback, but it's nice to actually see Ben throwing those type of touchdowns again. Like he obviously got a wide open one of Juju last week, but that's brutal. It's another just inexcusable red zone play that goes to show you we don't really know what the problem is in the red zone. If it's not, if it's not the play calling, it's some aberration uh, by a player on the field. But that was a that was a pretty bad play for Juju to or not Juju, excuse me, uh, for Eli to make. So those are our five pivotal plays of the day. There were so many we could have chosen from, but those were the biggest ones in our opinion. Why don't we move on to the offensive grades? Offensive grades. So we'll first look at the offense overall. Uh, again, we said it before. The Steelers continue to move the ball between the 20s, which which makes the low scoring so frustrating. We can't get the final mile. We can't put the cable in between the tower and the house. But uh, be that as it may, effective movement of the ball. As you mentioned, a couple of big pass plays. Juju, obviously. AB also had a, um, how many yards on that play? I don't know, a lot, 35, something 35, like that. But the yes. one right down, to the, right down to the goal line. The first play of the game, the 41-yarder to Juju. I, I do think it can be difficult to see uh, because of some of the missed plays and some of the timely turnovers in enemy territory, but I do see very gradual improvement from the Steelers' passing offense, which we're looking for. Like you said, there's some of these intermediate throws that they're starting to make. I think some people might consider that first throw of the game to Juju an underthrow because he kind of had to slow down and get it, but man, just get the ball to him. <laughs> I think that was a great play. It was a great way to start out the game. Uh, third down was a lot better. 50% went 7 of 14 after that abysmal showing last week. And there's things that they're improving on. But, hey, the the Eli drop, the inexplicable misses from Ben, the two turnovers in enemy territory. I was, can't be doing that type of stuff. And only putting 20 points on the board. There was a horrible drop by Eli and a horrible miss to Hayward Bay by Ben. So you're looking at it, and although we've said in the past few weeks Steelers fans need to give up on this 30 points a game thing, they're actually very close to being that offense again just in a, in a different way, a more well-rounded way than the, than the bombs way attack. But bearing that all in mind, you only score 20 points. Offense gets a grade of B. So we go on to the quarterback. Ben had a, um, how would you describe it? He seemed to be simultaneously more and less confident this game. Right. He was more confident in, in, seeming, in throwing the ball down the field, it looks like, 
but it seems like he got the yips on some of those wide open passes. So I do think that we're seeing him start to get his mojo back a little bit because he's pushing the ball down the field, but something's got to be in the guy's head. And and I think he just needs to knock that Saran wrap. That's why I didn't mind him throwing a little short to Juju on the first play. I thought that his reads in the red zone were better again. He had good throws to Eli. He had good throws to A.B. That throw to A.B. that got called back was a nice bullet. And uh, there were some good things that he did. But, you know, some of those underthrows and, and misses are still a little bit alarming. He needs to clean that up. Ben basically had the same day that he's been having for the past few weeks. Ben gets a grade of B. Not uh, not his uh, typical production today, either receiving or uh, on the ground. But it's hard to it's hard to blame him because he still fights for every yard he gets. It looked like a more of an issue of openings. Yeah, the offensive line wasn't great. They severely missed Vance McDonald, and Rosie didn't have as good of a game. So. Once again, there was uh, the offensive line isn't the dominant force that we were hoping it uh, that it was last year, but we'll get into that later. I just don't think any other team would give their running back 25 carries when the game was going the way that it was. Le'Veon, you just know that he's eventually he's going to get the yards when you need him to, and the quality of his runs are are so high that he's breaking tackles he's making people miss he's stiff arming people and he's doing a lot more than his average yards per carry suggests the only thing we got to ding him for is his fumble which was bad timing in the red zone it's hard to get mad at the guy that's only his third lost fumble of his entire career and you know like they're gonna happen it, it was a weird play when we saw it, it the guy just sort of poked his massive bicep and the ball just popped out it was pretty fluky but you do have to ding him for that that's another one of those weird red zone woes either Eli drops a ball directly into his hand Ben throws into the stands to wide open guy or Le'Veon fumbles for the first time in a year so bearing that in mind Le'Veon Bell gets an A minus A minus so we're going to turn our attention and our focus onto our little elfin fun run god A.B who had five receptions for 70 yards on 10 targets. Good game for him. Like to have seen more production, but really can't hang it on him. Yeah. It looks like uh, big play Slay. Darius Slay was on AB all day. Uh, AB has traditionally had his way with Slay. Uh, so you would have liked to see a little bit higher stats, but we've acknowledged it's not that time right now with Ben particularly. So I think that he made some big plays when he needed to, and he did what you ask of him, that, that play uh, to get them close to the end zone and wins another jump ball. This tiny man wins jump balls nonstop. And he had a nice pickup on third down. It was a little little quiet for AB, but at the same time, that's he, he was very efficient. So the push-off in the end zone... I don't know. I think some people let you play on that. They seem to be calling that offensive pass interference a lot more this year. It would have been sweet to see him get that touchdown. That would have raised his grade. But taking all that into account, we give A, B a grade also of A minus. A minus. So we'll look at the other wide receivers, and it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, Juju could be the most valuable player of the game. Based just on one play alone, obviously, but he had eight receptions, 198 yards, and one score. 
He did. And I actually don't think it was off of one play alone. I mean, look, the guy had 100 yards even without that. He did. 97-yarder. 40-yarder at the beginning. Now, let's get it out of the way. You got to ding him for that that dropped pass on third and seven on the second to last drive that could have helped the Steelers seal the game. Obviously, it's not a sure thing at that point, but it was pretty crazy that he dropped that one. Maybe he was focused on trying to get another gigantic touchdown run. I don't know, but overall, I don't care. He had a huge game. The quality of his plays are so excellent. He starts the game off with the 41-yarder. There's obviously the great miraculous long one that we can't stop talking about. He had yet another week catching something across the middle and breaking two tackles. The guy is hard to take down. He's as billed, as advertised, even better. What a huge day for him. Again, great blocking in the run game. His blocking has gotten very shrewd. He's found ways to spring even receivers on long runs when when they get the ball. And I, I don't know how he's getting better at not holding people because sometimes it looks like he waits the last second, but he's gotten a lot smoother about letting off of those blocks when it becomes questionable about being a hold and so effective. So Juju gets an A+. The rest of the wide receivers get, what, a D? Just based on that Eli drop alone? Yeah, and uh, how do you rate? Hunter was in there for one. He had a really nice catch on a third down. Inaccurate. It was a nice catch. Yeah, um, just looks like he, he looks such a physical uh, specimen out there. I just don't know why you can't get more production out of him. He's just not that guy. Yeah, they say he's a practice player. He does he does great in these practices and training camps because he's just so much more physically gifted than these other guys. But he can't get it done within the context of a game that play where DHB was running a corner into the end zone and Ben, man, that that throws depressing i actually got my body slumped i became legitimately sad when ben missed that throw and it was ben's fault you gotta hit the wide open guy but i did watching it on the replay it did seem like he could have laid out for that a little bit more and he took his angle the angle to the ball was a little bit funny he should be aiming to the corner pylon and he was kind of aiming to the left of that so i'm not gonna totally put that on him but we're we're not going to forget about it either. It would be nice for you to just make a play and catch that ball. It was hanging in the air. So, so Hey Bay, Hunter, and Eli can thank Juju to bring up the grade of the lab partnership from what would be something sub-A to an A. A, indeed. Let's move on to the offensive line. Offensive line, um, pretty much a similar day to Ben, A.B., and Le'Veon. They're basically the same as they've been all year. The running was effective but not efficient. That 3.0 yards per carry is it makes that very obvious, right? But they were pretty excellent in pass protection. Zero sacks. I thought Villanueva finally had a better game. I know he wasn't playing against a total top-end guy, but they have some some real talent in their front seven. But it is frustrating with this O-line this year not being able to see them establish the run in a dominant fashion. Last year, the Steelers could run on anybody. No matter what the defensive front is, everybody knew that the Steelers were running and they would still run it down your throats, much like the Cowboys and Ezekiel Elliott last year. We need to get that back from the Steelman, from this offensive line. They have the talent. They have the pedigree. Hopefully Gilbert coming back helps that. Vance McDonald obviously helps that. 
And the only other thing I would add is that Rosie had a surprisingly subpar game. Yeah, uh, I think Rosie has to give back the He-Man designation for one week. I think I'd like to award that to Alu Alu. But right. uh, hopefully that was just an aberration for Rosie. We're going to we give the offensive forward, line. Pardon? We should do that. He-Man award is a good one. Yeah. Well, I like that. Maybe they get like a, like a, a, a bicep. golden engraved a bicep, bicep holding a, a chunky soup can, like crushing it. like that. Some of the juices. Iron City light cap. That's nice. All right, what are we going to give him for a grade? Offensive the offensive line. line gets a B plus. B plus. Yeah, you can't forget about keeping Ben clean that much. That's a great job. That's a, that's what we're really hiring you to do. Keep the man safe. Let him get his groove on. It's Let's move on to old. tight ends. Tight ends. They severely missed Ronald McDonald, Vance McDonald. That dude has become a real blocking force, and Jesse and X-Man are not that. It is interesting to see the Outlaws production step right back up to where it was when Vance McDonald goes out. He just has these deceptively nice plays. That little catch and yeah. What does he do? He kind of like skips. He's so tall. Scampers. He's kind of. He's like a gazelle. Uh, give him a scamper. He just sort of well, like, ambles yeah, along the sideline. No amble. I think it's more skipping. But he did yeah. get some yak, which isn't typical for him. He did. Well, I think he's actually been kind of increasing that every once in a while. He juked that guy out earlier this year. I'll never forget that. But he got some nice yak. I also give him credit for not immediately going to the hospital when he got jacked up on that personal foul play. But Grimble was pretty bad in blocking. Obviously didn't offer anything receiving. And, you know, two receptions for 42 yards for Jesse. That's that's cool. That's pretty much what we want from you that's going to be your role on this team as a tight end thank you You want those type of stats but the blocking they didn't help out the offensive line at all they are going to get a grade the tight ends that is of c plus plus. which takes us to the head coach and we always have a little difficulty with this because you don't know whether it's game scheme the offensive you know the offensive coordinator's problem but um we did win a game we didn't play I would say we played down to our competitions, which is a tendency we have at times. This is this is the Steelers. Difficulty in the red zone no matter who you are. But we <laughs> won the game and in convincing fashion without allowing a touchdown. And the good news is the difficulty in the red zone seems to be becoming contagious. So if we can just start giving this to other teams, I don't know if there's some sort of ceremony they can, well, they perform, can start playing but I won't down perform any ceremony. They can start want. playing down to us. That would be pretty great. So, great win from him. First place in the AFC. This was one I was really nervous about, honestly. I knew it would be a close game. That's not going going out on too much of a limb, seeing as most of the Steelers' games seem to play out that way. But playing against a great quarterback like Matthew Stafford, who a lot of people don't realize how great Matthew Stafford is, by the way, but the quality of the throws he's making, only a couple people in the NFL can make. And... The Steelers come out on top, 6-2, and two, top of the AFC. Mike Tomlin gets an A. Boom. Moves us on to Todd Haley. Uh, why don't you take that? Because you you observed some better play calling this weekend. This is my favorite game from Todd Haley. I thought that for the first time, I was seeing receivers schemed open a little bit more than usual. Obviously, we saw the ones open in the end zones, and there were some good crossers. That first play of the game was awesome. It seems like he's finally kind of built up enough reputation with what the Steelers do 
You know, they like to run the counter run. They always run that. They like to run those wide receiver screens to AB. And now they have these other options off of them, like with the screen where the guy goes. The Steelers have a bunch of different versions of that. Sometimes it's the tight end up the middle, up the seam. This time it was the receiver, Juju, down the sideline. So I thought that the rhythm has continually gotten better every game with the offense, and this was no exception. It, it looked a little bit better. And also, I really liked his decision to throw on second down and six to try and ice the game. They threw an incomplete pass on the play. He tried to hit A.B. on the back shoulder. But that was the moment of the game where there was about two minutes, a little under two minutes left, and I just felt the Steelers were going to try and run three times in a row. They're only averaging three yards a carry. It's not like they're running all over these guys. And then you're going to give the ball back to Matt Stafford, who's gone up and down the field without any resistance over and over again. And Matt Stafford would do his uh, weekly fourth quarter comeback. So I liked the aggression. That's what the Steelers used to do the past couple years. And it didn't pay off on second down, but it did pay off on third down when Darius Slay held um, Eli Rogers. By the way, that was a huge pass interference. I know people want to say that the Steelers got bailed out with the pass interference. Well, he would have caught that and ran for 20 yards if Slay hadn't grabbed his arm and then grabbed his jersey after that. So I liked that aggression. Although, yeah, no, that's it. Um, that's all I'm going to say about him. Todd Haley gets a grade of A. So uh, we're going to reverse score the uh, defensive coordinator. We're going to talk about him first, Keith Butler. You know, you, you probably are disgusted by hearing this, but it is, then don't break. <laughs> right. um, the Lions didn't score a touchdown. Also, interesting statistic. I'm sure everybody who watched the game saw this. The Lions haven't had a 100-yard rusher in 58 games, and their top rusher, uh, Abdullah, only had 27 in this, this game. Pretty impressive shutting down a, an unimpressive uh, def- uh, rushing offense. Please. Well, an even more incredible stat than that, which really should help you realize how great Matthew Stafford is to carry this team over and over again. Matt Stafford's been in the league for, what, like eight? to 10 years now probably guess how many times he's had a running back rush for a hundred yards or over uh, under please. 10 times in his whole career it was three or seven i can't remember which one it was but it was certainly less than 10 that's outrageous Compared so what you're ben, saying is that stafford he does is cursed it could be his uh, fault. Stafford plays for the Lions, and they don't know how to build a full football team, although they've got a pretty good one on their hands right now. They just need to shore up that offensive line because I think those running backs have some talent, but that line isn't isn't very good. Well, the it's not to talk about are- the Lions. Okay. It was sort of talk about the competition. But um, the one thing, two things that, that bothered me about the defense yesterday was the, the, zone, the zone defense doesn't right. work or doesn't work against a passer like, like Matthew Stafford. The other is that... The D-line didn't seem to have the penetration that it has over the first seven games. And they they were stunting. Uh, T.J. Watt was doing his pirouetting, and they, they couldn't get to Stafford. So I think that that might have to do with game scheme. And yeah. I'm going to ding Keith for that you because I am omniscient and have the power to do so. And with that, I will give him B-. minus. B-. minus indeed. Let's go to the defense as a whole, and and we kind of just covered a lot of what they were doing, but listen, tale of two cities. 
This is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Perhaps even Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll. As abysmal as you could possibly get. Embarrassed going up and down the field. But that red zone defense was fantastic. If you look at the replays, if you rewatch that game, which I'm sure all of you are going to do a couple times tomorrow like we are, wait for that all 22 to come out. The Steelers are rushing three maybe sometimes four in the red zone, and they're just leaving a swarm of dudes back to cover. Those guys were blanketing. The corners were covering really well. Shazier had a tip ball in the end zone. There was nowhere to throw the ball, and those seemed to be the only real times when the Steelers' defensive line was getting pushed. They collapsed the pocket. So I know people want to say the Lions fell apart in the red zone. I don't think so. The Steelers fell apart in the red zone, missing wide-open touchdowns, letting them go through their hands. That defense was great. Now, they were only great in the red zone. They were terrible everywhere else. But- well, I, you know, the couple statistics don't tell the whole story, but um, Stafford had a 60% completion rate, but he was only getting 9.4 yards per completion. Uh, the Steelers had nine passes defended, which when the quarter, op- opposition quarterback throws 45 times, you're going to have more opportunities. But I will point out an interesting t- statistic that on average – the Lions had uh, third down and seven. Wow. So their efficiency was two for 12. Wow. Steelers yeah. So the Steelers held very well on first and second when we weren't getting demolished by long passes. That's a great point. And, you know, I just revealed my, my Steeler fan colors there because I'm sure, like everybody else was feeling out there, when we were watching this game, it just seemed like we never stopped them until you got in the red zone. But you make a great point there. Two of 12 on third down, making them average seven yards, it was it was boom or bust for them. Now, it is strange because you think if that's Tom Brady playing that game, he can do the same thing Stafford can do, and he's going to score in the red zone, and we would have gotten gotten crushed. So either way, I think that you have to look at the positive in terms of the red zone and hope for the positive in terms that the fact that the Steelers have now been exposed to a real quarterback and a real passing attack. And hopefully they can go back to the film now and adjust accordingly. We're going to give the defense a grade of B plus. B plus. Moving on to the defensive line. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Tyson Alulu, next man up, three tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss, one pass defended, and one quarterback hit. This guy could start. If we need him to, and he did, mm-hmm. but he we also, this year. so we had two sacks. Um, it's good to get the sacks, but it is uh, disappointing that we couldn't do better uh, against a poor offensive line like Detroit. Right. We did a good job shutting down the run and making that a non-factor, making the Lions one dimensional. They weren't able to pound their way into the end zone once they got in the red zone. I think that's a big factor, but the D line went uh, the same way that the defense went. They were Okay in the middle of the field, but they really got some pressure once they got inside the 20. We're sounding like a broken record here, but it it, it was bizarre <laughs> watching the tail of two defenses. So defensive line did a pretty good job. They get a grade of A minus. Moving us on to the inside linebackers. Um, as many big plays as Stafford had uh, in, in passing, the Lions only had two two of their 22 rushes that were for over 10 yards. I thought the inside linebackers did a good job of plugging the gaps, uh, not missing tackles as uh, Ryan Chizir has want to do in previous games. I thought it was a solid game by both Vince Williams, 
the tackling machine and yeah. Ryan. And Ryan, put please catch that uh, pass next time. Here. <laughs> that was a short six. Yeah. What is that, dude? That's gonna that's gonna put you in the defensive player of the year voting. I love those sexy plays. He that's... hasn't slept in two nights over that play. I don't know if he's had a pick six before, but that would have been a nice one. He, nobody's catching that guy. But uh, great job by Vince Williams. Like you said, two games in a row. Vince is starting to heat up. That is very encouraging for us to see. And like you said, no big runs. Inside linebackers get a grade of A. And we're moved to the outside linebackers. We weren't happy with the outside linebackers. Again, there weren't a lot of runs on the outside. Nothing. Nobody exploded. But uh, penetration is paltry. There was just no pressure from the outside. And I'm looking at Bud Dupree's expiration sticker. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that. It seems like he's he's good against the run, just like TJ was. And that really is your first responsibility is to guard the run and make the team one-dimensional. They did that. But, man, Dupree, he does, he does not win one-on-one matchups. I think that Watt's already a better pass rusher than he is. Dupree's already well into his career. I'm definitely keeping an eye on him going forward. I'm not saying he's Jarvis Jones, but we need to see a little bit more out of a guy with that pedigree. They did some good job, uh, some good work dropping into coverage. TJ Watt, that dude is a good covering outside linebacker. He can sky for the ball. He had another nice play. I don't know if he tipped it or just got in the way. But we wrote initially a B- minus for this grade. I, I can't give them anything higher than a C. I think we can we can do this. We can flex. They played against Brian Mahalik. Mahalik. Yeah, but he was trained I mean, in the trenches of St. Vincent. Well, you You're welcome. Can't find that anywhere else. That's true. I guess it is outside true. linebackers get a grade of C. Yeah, you you need to get more sacks against the most sacked quarterback in football, and that really comes down to you because. Not only were we not getting sacks, but we weren't getting pressure, and they were just getting handled. Boo. All right, let's move on to our old friends, the cornerbacks. Mr. Artie Burns, Senor Joe Hayden, and the Silver Bullet, a.k.a. the undercover dark horse MVP of the team, Mike Hilton. Mixed bag for them. You give up over 400 whatever yards of passing, you're not going to get an A. I promise you that. And you're not going to get a B either. But there were some bright spots. First off thing that I would like to say, this was one of my nominees for five pivotal plays. When the Lions got that free play and they chucked it downfield, Joe Hayden had the nicest interception I've seen a Steeler have since Troy Palmalo. He skied for that ball. He went straight jump man. He went Jordan. He went Palomalu on that thing. Jumped very high in the air. Way higher than a normal man or Steelers cornerback could do. High pointed the ball and snatched it looking like a like a stud. He, he looks like he catches better than everyone except for AB. That was such an encouraging play for me to see. I like that even though it didn't count. I thought that both corners were locked down in the red zone. Hilton had another great day blitzing. He just is very good at that. But hey, man, they got torn up. They got to, they got to get their communication better with the safeties. Uh, they bid on a couple plays. Hayden particularly on one of those. Um, Hayden also got juked out by a very elusive running back. But still, you know, those things happen. I can't, you can't get juked out by running backs. I mean, there were some nice tackles on Le'Veon from the, from the corners on the Lions. 
So there were some definitely encouraging things to see from those guys that we have not seen from Steelers corners in a long time in terms of their tight man coverage, particularly in the red zone, but they got torched. So we're, we got to give them a grade of C plus. C plus. Moving on to safety, Sean Davis, um, I don't know, we have to have some special award for him, but he is really, again, I think I said this in the last episode, on the ascent. He's, he's, he's as you said about the cornerbacks, locked down in, um, in the red zone. He also is a tackling machine. He is. And what else do I want to say about him? Well, which play do you want to pick from him? Because... The, the knockdown in the end zone was awesome, but he also was a part of one of those goal line stops. I don't remember if it was the third or fourth down, but they handed the ball off the right side to Washington, and he came in there like the silver bullet, but with more girth, more if you panache. will. And just, I don't even know if he was going to tackle the guy, but he knew that I, he just had to make an impact. And he launched himself into Washington and his buddy Hargrave was able to bring him down kind of simultaneously. But he had a weirdly slow start to the season after finishing really nicely last year. He, he's he been great in run coverage, sort of making those cool splash run plays like we've seen him make in past years and also making those breakups in the end zone. So you got to like where Sean Davis is going right now. Although, once again, I don't know if it's really communication with the corners and everything else, but you get torched that hard and pass, pass plays uh, – can't give you anything too great, but that's still encouraging. We're actually going to give the safeties a B. Did I tell you went to Pittsburgh this past weekend? Did you now? I did. And your uh, percentages were spot on. We spent the first night at the Olive Garden. There was about a 40 to 50% ratio of black and gold apparel, yes. uh, followed by Friday night at Chili's. With the big wow. smokehouse burger with a it knife to the top of it. You go. Yeah, it, I think it reached about uh, 60% there. So it was we a beautiful made back weekend to there. Back pilgrimages. Didn't make the pilgrimage. Uh, what are you guys doing? Well, please, when you go to the website, you please go to the website and you, it's um, www.steelersoutpost.com and you'll see some of the pictures from my foray there. And you can look at last week's blog and see Nick's uh, virgin trip to Heinz Field. Beautiful. You also may have uh, courted a future guest for the podcast. Now you want to tease that without giving too much information away. We've got some things planned for the off season, and I think you might have uh, started those plans on your little trip. There is an iconic play in Steelers history, mm -hmm. and I came very close to that history personally, physically. I wow. gazed my eyes upon it. Wow. I captured photographic evidence. I'm going to share that with you on the website, but we are planning a very special interview in the off season when we don't have enough material to cover. You will hear from somebody who was front and center for that pivotal day in Steeler history. Wow. Thank really you. Done this before. Very nice. Well, I think that we covered everything pretty thoroughly. You got to be happy with where the Steelers are at right now. It's ugly, but they're six and two. And there's things that they're obviously great at, and there are things that have been a problem the whole year and need to be improved upon. But I do think you're seeing incremental pro uh, progress in all areas. I think playing against Matthew Stafford is going to be a positive in the long run now that the Steelers have some tape on themselves to see 
hey, what do we do against some quarterbacks that can make that cover two hole throw, that beautiful throw that goes in between the corner and the safety? Um, I tell you one thing, Tom Brady will make that throw in his sleep, and they're not going 0 for 5 in the red zone. So Steelers fans who are worried about that, we're right to be worried. But the Steelers have time to prepare for that and to get better for that, and hopefully they do. And meanwhile, sitting pretty 6-2 and two and on the rise with a new star being born in Juju, that bike boy, Smith Schuster. Well, everybody, I want to thank you for being on the ride this first half of the season. Things are looking up for the second half, as Nick has pointed out. We're on a springboard to the Super Bowl, hopefully. But we are really appreciate you joining us. And please drop us a note if you have any suggestions, complaints, uh, critiques. We you can be found. We can be found at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. And again, visit the website. SteelerOutpost.com to see some of those pictures captured in the glorious uh, sunlit. Well, there was some sun when I was in Pittsburgh last weekend. But anyway, first weekend. We will be we will be back next week with a very special episode during the bye week. Yeah, we're gonna figure out something good to talk to you guys about. It might be a little bit of recap. We might actually preview the who do we play first? The Colts. Colts or the Titans. One of the two. We're going to get the schedule straight first is what we're going to do. And we'll have an episode for you next week. But thank you for joining us on Steelers Outpost. Why don't you sign us off? Everybody, until next week. See ya. Okay, bye-bye.
There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.